Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. The final from Oracle Park in San Francisco. It's the San Francisco Giants 6, the Cleveland Guardians 5. I'm Davey Barris, a lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and it is after midnight, and I am exhausted. Burned out a little bit here, but uh, we got to talk about this baseball game because the Guardians did every, everything right up until the eighth inning. I mean, they were they were cruising up until that eighth inning, and then they put Eli Morgan into the game, and everything went to hell. I mean, I, you know... It felt like the I got to give credit to the crowd in San Francisco because it it definitely felt like the crowd in San Francisco never gave up on this game. The San Francisco Giants clearly didn't give up on this game. Uh and it's just this is a sign of a bad team, right? I mean, the Giants showed us the sign of a bad team in their own way by letting two unearned, unearned runs score in that first inning uh by making the big the, the bad error. And letting two runs come across. And I was all ready to do a podcast about how, you know, defense wins games. And you can't be that sloppy defensively and consider yourself a good team. Like, we were ready to do that podcast. But instead, we got to talk about how Eli Morgan and the bullpen blew it late in the game. And, I mean, absolutely handed the game back to the San Francisco Giants. Uh, this team did. I, Oh, man, we should have won this one. We should have won this one. So let's get into it. Let's get into the top storylines of the game. Uh, I'm also exhausted because we played old man softball tonight. We had to make up one of our Sunday rainouts uh, tonight, and it was a late night. It was also a little bit of it was chaotic. I'm not gonna lie. The, the umpire didn't show up. We had to find someone to umpire. They didn't turn the, half the lights on the field weren't on. We had to move to a different field. Like it was a weird night. Uh, we split. We split the doubleheader. Um, I know you tune into this podcast to hear old man Cleveland softball talk. I get it. No, let's talk the Guardians right now. Uh, but it's going to be a short episode. That's I'm just giving you the heads up right now. So yeah, Eli Morgan, an absolute disaster of an eighth inning. And I, I as soon as he came into the game, I knew that uh, I was going to get an angry email from Marlon. I was like, oh boy, here it comes here comes Marlon's email. Uh, first pitch. He hits Jock Peterson. All right, not the way you want to start, but we still have a three-run lead, so not the end of the world, right? Patrick Bailey would then follow that up with a single. He actually, ironically, misses the fastball right down the middle of the plate. He fouls it off on the 2-2 count, but then somehow gets a changeup down below the knees at the shins and is able to shoot it into right field uh, for a single. Peterson goes to third base. And that brings up J.D. Davis. And uh, Davis works a six-pitch at bat. He's uh, going fastball, change-up, change-up, fastball, mixing it up against him. Uh, finally works it to a full count, lays off. Uh, I mean, it, man, his, his two pitches towards the end of this at bat, he misses with a change-up way down off the plate. He misses with a fastball way up over his head. And then absolutely hangs him a changeup. I mean, this is a batting practice pitch. This is a home. I mean, if this was the home run derby, uh, J.D. Davis would be thinking him for throwing a pitch this sweet and this juicy. A hanging changeup, middle up, and he uh, he skies it. Uh, he hits it really high, 43-degree launch angle. It only goes 358 feet. I mean, it is a, a foot or two beyond Stephen Kwan's glove. Does make nice solid contact at 104.4 mile per hour exit velocity. 
and gets the three-run home run to tie the game. And this, I mean, this was an absolute gut punch to the Guardians. I They thought they were cruising since the first inning. They thought they were cruising. Would have only been a home run in 12 out of 30 ballparks. Would not have been a home run in progressive field. Um, yeah, I mean, J.D. Davis got just enough of it. Like, right, the launch angle. I don't even know if that would be considered a barrel because that launch angle is so high. But it it cleared the fence, and it's a three-run home run, and suddenly we're going from being in absolute command, control of this game, controlling our destiny to the at least the end of this game, to absolutely being in a, a tied game where all the momentum is back on San Francisco's side. Now, Eli Morgan didn't single-handedly lose this game. Sure, he had a little bit of help here. Uh, we have a chance to, you know, respond in the ninth inning. A two-out rally, Quan with a single, Jose Ramirez with a double, and that brings up Josh Naylor with, with first base open. And they go to their bullpen at that point. They bring in one of their best arms, their closer, Duvall, and uh, they decide to pitch to Josh Naylor with first base open and Ramon Laureano on deck. And I was shocked, but he ends up grounding out uh, to get him out of the threat. So uh, they don't convert in a very, very high leverage situation. I mean, it doesn't get more tense than that. Ninth inning, come on. Two guys on, a chance to respond, a chance to take the lead and turn things over to your closer. Now, uh, I do like this move from Francona. So I, I don't know why Eli Morgan was pitching in the eighth inning of this game. And did he feel comfortable with the three-run lead to put Eli Morgan out there? Like, Eli Morgan is not the guy I turn to in high-leverage situations. I'm sorry. He hasn't earned that yet. I don't hate him as much as Marlon hates him, but I, I don't think that was a good position for him to succeed in, uh, clearly. And so uh, we do turn things over to Klasse in the ninth inning, which I actually like that. Because uh, we've seen how bad Klasse has been in extra innings. We've gone over the numbers. It's almost like double the ERA. So, yeah. So, pitch him in the ninth. Make sure. Protect. Steal some of that momentum back from San Francisco. And he does. After a leadoff single to Flores, he gets filthy. And with two strikeouts, strikes out Hanniger, gets Peterson to fly out, and then strikes out Bailey. Klasse gets out of it. I, I, I think that's actually a good move. So, we come up in the top of the tenth inning. And uh, here's where I'm going to go to one of our emailers, uh, Corey from Iowa, a new emailer. Uh, Corey, I've, I've been to Iowa. I did my bachelor party in Iowa, and I, I think I've told this story on the podcast before, but it might have been in earlier seasons. You're probably thinking, Davey, why would you do your bachelor party in Iowa of all places? Because we played a game at the Field of Dreams. That's right. I took, I think, 12 of my buddies and my dad. Because, of course, how could you go to the Field of Dreams without your dad? And uh, we played a game. We had the field for like three hours at night. And it was magical. Absolutely. The cornfield, all of it. The old house, it's all there. Uh, we had a great time. Uh, yeah. So uh, had a catch with my dad on the Field of Dreams. You know, all that good stuff. So, Corey... I'm a big fan of Iowa right there. Uh, Corey's email, and it has to do with extra innings, and that's why I'm going to it right now. He says, hey, Davey, love the podcast and listen every morning. Just finally getting around to emailing in because I have a question. You often talk about the advantage the away team has when it comes to extra innings, and I want to know why you think so. 
it is not a huge advantage for the home team who knows uh, how many runs they need to score in. Oh, is it not a huge advantage for the home team who knows how many runs they need to score in the inning? Along with that, if the home team holds the away team to a scoreless top of the inning, all they have to do is bunt to get the runner from second over and then hit a sack fly or really just any kind of solid contact to bring that runner in from third to win. Obviously not as easy as it sounds, but bunting to get the runner over in the top is far less common and knowing how many runs you need has to put you in an advantage over the away team, I would think. If I'm missing something, I'm excited to learn. Love the podcast. Stinks that it was another tough loss for the Guardians. Thanks for keeping me entertained and always looking forward to the positives for this fun team. Uh, Thank you, Corey. Thank you, Corey from Iowa. So I'm going to answer your question as we discuss these extra innings here. So the part of the reason, so I don't think this is universally thought of as an advantage for the the home team or the away team at this point. Uh, It's still pretty early. Uh, I don't even, you know, we can't, I don't even know if they've, anyone's done any studies on the data across all of Major League Baseball. I'm, I'm of the mindset of, I, I kind of like taking the first crack at it. I kind of like taking the first crack at it, especially if you can put up a crooked number. Like if that runner on second leads to a rally, it just seems to put a lot of pressure on that opposing team, on that home team to have to score, to have to execute, right? Um, if you can get the job done in your top of the inning. So that I, that's why I like it. Um, you know, you say the home team knows how many runs they have to score. That can also be a disadvantage. You know, if things start to get tight. If you know, oh man, we got to scrape together two runs in this inning. Uh, you know, it, it makes them a little tight with the way they play. Uh, makes those at bats a little tense. And you can bring your closer in. In theory, if your closer is not Emmanuel Classe who falls apart in extra innings. Um, so you get that advantage, too, of being the away team. So I I can see it either way, and it depends on the mentality of your team, right? Uh, so I was going back through, and I looked at all the Guardians' extra inning games uh, throughout this season, including today. They're 11-8 in extra inning games. On the road, they're 6-6. Six and six. At home, they're five and three. So, yes, based on that small sample size, the Guardians maybe you could say have had a little bit of an advantage playing extra inning games at home. But uh, that's close enough to me to say that I it, it, maybe it isn't even an advantage either way. Uh, maybe it's more about you just have to take advantage of your own opportunities, whether you're the home team or the away team. And in this one, the San Francisco Giants do. So we do. We have that chance, and Ramon Laureano has a terrible at-bat. He strikes out with Naylor standing there on second base as that guy, knowing what he needs to do, right? Uh, You know, uh, he's no rookie. Ramon Laureano knows what he needs to do. He strikes out on three pitches. In fact, he strikes out looking to a cutter on the outside edge. That's a terrible, terrible at-bat in that 10th inning. Andres Jimenez would ground out to the right side and move the runner to third, but it's too late at that point. Tyler Freeman ends up lining out to left field uh, to end the threat. So they don't get their run home, and yeah, now all the advantage is definitely in San Francisco's favor, and it doesn't help that they bring Xavier Curry in to pitch. 
Uh, and they put the rookie starter, long reliever. Nah, I, I, kind, I understand what Francona might have been thinking. Like, okay, hopefully we can stretch this thing out and Curry can give us a few innings and we can ride this thing as long as we need to ride it. But that doesn't work if he's not finding the strike zone. He's all over the strike zone to J.D. Davis. Uh, fastballs up, uh, sliders missing down and away off the plate. So he walks J.D. Davis. Brandon Crawford, he can't find the strike zone. Walks him on five pitches. Uh, goes 3-0. and Does hit the outside edge for a called strike. But then misses down and away. And walks Brandon Crawford on five pitches. So makes it easy for him. So it now loaded the bases for them. And now we're just we're just handing them the game. Uh, he decided to stop throwing the fastball because of the first two batters, he had no command over it whatsoever. He goes all slider, all off-speed stuff. Slider, changeup, curveball to uh, Lamont Wade Jr. Finally, the fifth pitch of the at-bat is a kind of a backdoor slider on the outside edge to the lefty Lamont Wade. And he uh, flares it into left field, gets it deep enough, and uh, even though Stephen Kwan comes up and makes a good throw, like sets his feet, gets the ball, makes a good strong throw, uh, Patrick Bailey is able to slide in under uh, Bo Naylor and score the winning run, and they get the walk off. So, I mean, you just you can't be walking people. Uh, extra innings is no place to come in and have no command of your fastball. Like that's that's we need a guy out there with the mentality uh, of throwing strikes. And, you know, Xavier Curry can work through things in long relief. He can work through things uh, in starts even. But uh, working through things like this, having these command issues this late in the game, uh, it's a recipe for disaster. So uh, I did not like using Eli Morgan in the 8th. I didn't like using Xavier Curry here in the 10th inning. And it cost Francona. It cost him. His bullpen choices uh, cost him. Of course, the players did too, right? I mean, you still, those guys are in the bullpen. They they should have that mentality of going out there in any situation, uh, no matter what the score is, and going to work. And Eli Morgan and Xavier Curry definitely, definitely laid eggs today. Uh, it was not, it was not good, not good from those guys. So, uh, so it doesn't work in extra innings for us. You're right. We lose Ramon Laureano's at bat takes away that advantage, the, the the small sliver advantage that I see from being the away team, which is, uh, you know, that ability to just uh, play a little looser, uh, get that run across, and know that you're putting pressure on the home team by getting that first run across. Um, it's kind of like wiping out that zero at the beginning of the game. To be the first team to score, uh, it it changes things in your dugout. It lets you be a little more relaxed. And I think being the away team, being able to maybe get that first run across, going to your closer allows you to play a little more relaxed. Whereas the home team now knows they they can't they can't have bad at bats. They they can't. They can't there's no choice now. They have to score that run. They can't screw it up. They can't pop up the bunt. Or they can't take a strike three cutter on the outside edge like Ramon Laureano does here. If you get that run across. So uh, thank you, Corey, for the email. And uh, unfortunately, the Guardians put us in another situation where we take another loss in extra innings. And we got to have this conversation again here. So uh, I guess I should point out De Los Santos did get hit around and he did give up a run. Uh, it could have been much worse, but he did get a double play. So 
save that eighth inning, uh, that seventh inning from being much worse. Who knows what kind of rally the Giants would have put together uh, if it wasn't for uh, getting that ground ball double play from Yastrzemski. Remember, they start going to their lefties at this point off the bench with uh, De Los Santos in. So I thought it was going to get ugly after Lamont Wade Jr. had singled to start the inning, but Yastrzemski's double play. And then then Estrada doubles, then Flores singles, and they score their run before he gets out of it by striking out Hanniger. So I, that inning could have gotten out of hand too. Uh, but De Los Santos, a professional, gets the job done, gets his ground ball double play. All right. What happened earlier in this game? I guess this isn't going to be that short of an episode. Uh, what happened earlier in this game? Uh, well, the first inning rallies by both teams. I mean, my my big storyline of the game, my big moment of this game, before everything happened with the bullpen imploding and the extra innings, was going to be first base defense, was going to be defense. And uh, the Guardians, you know, first baseman, Josh Naylor makes a fantastic uh, play in the bottom of the first inning, whereas in the top of the first inning, uh, J.D. Davis playing first base can't make the pick. Schmidt with the throw from third base. Man, I'm telling you. All right, let's go through it. So Stephen Kwan with the walk. Jose Ramirez with the home run. Nice to see him. He got a, a high fastball. He had thrown him all high stuff in the at-bat, and he was all over this thing, 107.4, 410 feet out of left field, 30 out of 30 ballparks. I mean, he really, again, uh, home run derby, batting practice, Jose Ramirez is saying, please put the ball in that spot because I can launch it, even from the right side of the plate, although he's he's been hitting with for power, at least from the right side of the plate this year. So a great way to kick off the game. I mean, you can't ask for anything better than that. A walk from your leadoff hitter and a home run from your all-star superstar number two hitter. And I was thinking about this, like how many how many people bought tickets to this game because they you know Jose Ramirez was going to be in the ballpark? We never talk about it. We talk about it when other teams come here, right? Ooh, I get to go see Otani play, or or ooh, I love, you know, watching our guys battle the Yankees or something like that, right? I wonder if there's people out there that are like, hey, the guards are in town. I might want to go see Jose Ramirez play. I got to imagine there's some Jose Ramirez fans around the league like that, around you know the country. Uh, so they get to see him put up a two-run home run. I'm sure that was a nice show uh, for our superstar. Then Josh Naylor with a single. Ramon Laureano would strike out, but Andres Jimenez would single. Tyler Freeman would fly out, and that brings up Gabriel Arias. They hit the third base, and the, uh, the error, he throws it in the dirt. Schmidt gets it, but he takes... He takes like an extra crow hop and a half, like almost two extra steps. And when he did that, I just had this gut feeling of like, he's going to throw this thing away. He's going to spike this throw because the timing was off. So much of baseball is that feel, is that timing. And when he did those extra crow hops, you could just tell that he didn't have it. His timing was off. He was going to throw a terrible throw and J.D. Davis can't pick it at first base. He has a chance. He could scoop this thing, make the play, and, you know, they get out of this with only the two-run home run from Jose Ramirez. Instead, he can't make the play. It rolls, I think it rolls into the dugout, right? And two runs come across to score. Uh, so uh, Gabriel Arias, thank God he put it in play uh, and uh, gave us a chance, right? 
So they come up in the bottom of the first, a, sing, a leadoff single from Slater. It's not it's not going well for Allen. He, he's struggled a lot in first innings. Uh, Estrada with a single. Then he bears down and strikes out Flores, strikes out Hanniger before uh, Matos, Luis Matos singles. That drives in the first run uh, for San Francisco. But then he walks Patrick Bailey to load the bases. And now J.D. Davis is up. He smacks one right back at Allen. Allen's able to knock it down but can't find the ball. He's searching. He finds it behind his feet. He picks it up. He fires the first base, a rush throw, throws it in the dirt, and Josh Naylor comes up with the scoop. He picks that ball in the dirt, a beautiful scoop, and he gets the out, and he gets the Guardians out of the inning. So a bases-loaded situation there. So there you go. I mean, two plays back-to-back that show you the importance, how how huge Josh Naylor's contribution is, development as a first baseman has been, that he's able to make that pick, save runs from scoring for sure, uh, and get out of the inning, and J.D. Davis on the other side of things can't do it. And the Guardians take a commanding lead, a 4-1 four, four lead, then answer right back at the top of the order again. Steven Kwan with a single. Ramirez with a fly out, but Naylor is able to single him in and score. Uh, so Naylor's able to drive in a run there uh, in the uh, top of the second inning. So, yeah, they answered back for one. We answer right back in the top of the second. I would say as far as the beginning of this game goes, we won the innings. We absolutely won the innings. We took their one-run response and answered right back, stretched it back out to a four-run lead. So a good job from Naylor there of uh, driving in Quan. And uh, then everything just got so quiet. Every, I mean, uh, Allen settles down uh, and actually pitches you four more pretty competitive, pretty strong innings. Kyle Harrison never really settled down. The Guardians, Guardians almost always had someone on base. Uh, Gabriel Arias had a double in the third inning, but Bo Naylor couldn't do anything with it with two outs. Uh, Straw actually had a leadoff single in the fourth inning. We turned the lineup over, and we can't do anything with it in the fourth inning. A leadoff double from Ramon Laureano in the fifth. Uh, Tyler Freeman singles, and then uh, Gabriel Arias grounds into a double play to end the threat. So uh, the fifth inning goes by, and we waste a leadoff double. That hurts. That really hurts. Uh, leadoff single in the sixth inning, and then Straw grounds into a double play. I just keeps going here. The seventh inning, we go down one, two, three. The eighth inning, we go down one, two, three. Uh, and then the ninth inning, we've already talked about. So, uh, so many opportunities. So many opportunities for the Guardians uh, to add to that lead, to stretch that lead. And just everything kind of goes cold in the middle of the game. And uh, it's credit to Alex Wood, who... Didn't have a strikeout working, but he was sure hard to hit. He goes four innings in relief after Kyle Harrison gave him four innings to start. Uh, Only gives up three hits, no earned runs for Alex Wood, no walks, only one strikeout, but, I mean, just was really competitive against those Guardians hitters. Only gave up four hard-hit balls over his four innings pitched. So, yeah, he really quiets things down. On the other side, Logan Allen, after that first inning, I thought pitched pretty well. Uh, you know, it's no, it's no surprise. His line on the day, five innings pitch, five hits, one earned run, three walks, three walks. That's not great. Five strikeouts uh, on 88 pitches. He's only hard hit six times. Uh, maybe would have liked to see him go out there for that sixth inning, but, uh, Francona calls it a day after 88 pitches. 
Uh, but it's not surprising. If we go over to his illustrator here, he was very competitive in the strike zone with his fastball, uh, with his cutter, with the changeup to the arm side for the lefty, so the right side of the plate from the catcher's view, burying that sweeper down and attacking down with that sweeper. Uh, but it's not surprising that most of this strikeouts, in fact, all of his strikeouts were pitches that were down. Uh, sweepers and things that were down. One fastball on the outside edge that was a called strike three and a 2-2 count to Patrick Bailey. Uh, a changeup that was down and three sliders or sweepers that were down. And it's no surprise that the things that were hit were pitches that were up, that were kind of middle of the plate. Again, all righties here. Um, it's, uh, it's a couple sweepers and one slider that Austin Slater actually goes down and gets below the knees. But everything else, the other four hits are all kind of at the belt or up and uh, on the inner half of the plate to those right-handed hitters. So when he was up, he was getting hit. When he got that ball down, he was getting strikeouts and he was getting outs. So, uh, you know, it's not huge CSWs for him. It's not huge whiff numbers. It's only a 24% whiff rate. Uh, but 22 called strikes definitely make it a respectable CSW, a 34% CSW. So I, I was encouraged by this start. I thought Logan Allen looked pretty good. Now, I looked at his uh, game logs. He has gone deep into some games. He has gone seven innings a couple of times this season, including what probably is his best start against the uh, Baltimore Orioles back on May 29th when he went seven innings, only gave up three hits, no runs, Two walks, 10 strikeouts over seven innings pitched. Uh, that was probably his best start of the season. So he's done it, but his last three games, he's gone five innings each time and uh, kind of puts in his five innings of work and then uh, hits the showers. And so, you know, now that we're wrapping up the season, uh, in the post game, he said, Francona said, you're definitely going to see this guy going six, seven innings next season. Um, they're being a little careful with him, but he believes that he's got the stuff to do it. And, uh, I do, I, I like, if he's keeping that sweeper down, uh, staying out of the middle of the plate a little bit more, um, but attacking the strike zone. Like I, I prefer someone attacking the strike zone than, you know, someone nibbling around the edges. Like those games we saw from Gavin Williams, where he can't find the strike zone with his fastball. I'd rather see Logan Allen here attacking the strike zone. So, uh, unfortunately, it goes for not. We blow the game in extra innings. Uh, MVP on the day for me. Ooh, this is, you know, I, I, honest to God, I'm going with Josh Naylor more for the defense than the offense. I, I thought that play in the first inning was absolutely huge and should have been, sh we should be considering it the play that won the game all the way back in the first inning. He also went two for five. He also had an RBI and a run scored. So a pretty good day offensively. So I'm going with Naylor as uh, Josh Naylor as my MVP on the day. Uh, we also got an email from Marlon here. Uh, 14 more games to go, Davey. 14 more until this debacle of a season is over. Uh, basically, he points out that we were terrible against the NL West. Uh, we lost every series against every NL West team we played. Um the losses on Eli Morgan, he says, he inherited a three-run lead but flushed it down the toilet. De Los Santos wasn't sharp, but he got out of it after conceding only one run, not three. Hopefully the front office will move on from Morgan this offseason. Yeah, you know, you always need those middle relief guys, and I just I don't know how hard they are to find. So I wouldn't be surprised if they hang on to Morgan 
a little bit longer, uh, but just use him in the right roles. He's not he's not ready for the the high leverage bullpen roles yet. He's still kind of your middle of the game. You need some maybe your starter only goes three four innings, and you need some length guy. That's that's who Eli Morgan is still right now because he's, he's too volatile. There are times where he looks very good, uh, but he is way too volatile uh, right now. Um, all right. So, uh, Marlon, thank you for the email. You know, you know, I always appreciate you. Um, he says, I want to give a shout out to Patrick Bailey, who scored the winning run for the Giants. If you'll notice when he slid into home, he accidentally clipped Bo Naylor's right leg. He, uh, fell a little awkwardly. However, Bailey held out his hand to apologize and gave him a little tap to make sure he was all right. It was a catcher looking out for a fellow catcher. Marlon in Birmingham. Thank you, Marlon for the email and thank you Corey from Iowa our new emailer for joining the show all right that's all my thoughts thanks for joining me on this Cleveland baseball morning very very early in the morning uh you can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris remember we have an off day uh the guards have an off day so we won't be back with our next podcast until Saturday morning um you can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email the show at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts on the game, and we'll discuss them on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Spotify. I haven't said it in a while, but if you go to the link in the show notes, you still can leave a voicemail for the show, and we'll play it back on the air, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. Baseball Morning.